0: Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. We're working our way through this brief letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians. He's writing to encourage them, to persuade them not to be moved away from their faith in Jesus Christ and their, their confidence in his person and work. And today we're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. So that's page 983 in the Pew Bible, if you want to um, follow along there. A few moments ago, Hank read for us from Mark chapter 4, that that well-known story about Jesus calming the storm. And I've always found the disciples' question at the end of that story uh, a bit curious. You know, they they see a display of Jesus' power, and they ask, who then is this? (laughs) I mean, they had listened to his teaching. They had witnessed his miracles. They had spent time with Jesus. They're following him around. He's no stranger to them. And yet they, they ask this question as if they don't even know what to make of him. Who is this? And what happened at that time was the the Jesus they thought they knew collided with the real Jesus. You see, they had constructed an, an idea in their own minds of who Jesus was, and they thought he was a political hero, somebody who would who would drive out the Romans. And then, in reality, their Jesus was too small, and, and when it when they got a glimpse of the real Jesus, uh, it just exploded all their categories <laughs> about who this is. And it's sort of like what Paul does here in, in Colossians chapter 1. We've talked about how the Colossians, the Christians there, were questioning whether Jesus is enough. Is he really an all-sufficient Savior? Savior? You know, can, can we really find spiritual fullness and security in Him alone? Or do we need Jesus plus something? And here in this text, it's as if Paul says, Look, friends, uh, you're Christians. I have no doubt about that. But your Jesus is too small. <laughs> and let me help you see a little more clearly who He really is. And so what we get here in this passage, um, we're just looking at a part of it today, it's a bigger passage, verses 15 to 20. What we get here is one of the most exalted statements in all of the Bible about who Jesus is. I mean, it's right up there with John chapter 1 and Philippians 2. Many scholars think Paul is quoting an early Christian hymn or poem. Um, It certainly has a poetic feel and a poetic structure. And and whether Paul drew on some existing uh, poem or he wrote this from scratch, it's just simply marvelous. And and that is why it's here for us. And it it, it really falls into two parts. Verses 15 to 17, Paul shows us that Christ is supreme over creation. And then verses 18 to 20, Christ is supreme over the new creation. And so we're going to look at the first part today. We'll we'll come back. We'll come to the second part next Sunday, and my hope is that as we look at what Paul says here about Christ, that we we have a bit of a "Who then is this?" moment as we begin to grasp just how amazing our Savior is. So I'm going to read um, the entire poem, verses 15 to 20. I neglected to have Robin print the full. Um, full poem in the, in the bulletin. I think it's just verses 15 to 17 there in your bulletin. But I want to read the whole thing so that we can get a, a sense of the, of the big picture before we look at just verses 15 to 17. So Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me pray for us as, as we come to God's word this morning. Our God, we ask that you would show us our Savior today. Let us see the real Jesus. Let us see the, the true Jesus. And help us, O God, enable us to put all of our trust and hope and confidence in Him. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. So who is Jesus? And Paul tells us three things about Jesus in verses 15 to 17. We're going to look at each of them in turn. Uh, Number one, Jesus is the image of God. Second, He is Lord of creation. And third, He is the sustainer of all things. So if you're taking notes, there's the outline for you. Image of God, Lord of creation, sustainer of all things. And and first, Paul tells us there in, in verse 15 that Jesus is the image of God. A fundamental biblical truth about God is that He can't be seen with human eyes. God is spirit. Um, he, he's invisible, as Paul says here. And that really causes us no end of grief, right? You know, how am I supposed to believe in a God I can't see? Um, how am I supposed to know what he's like if, if I can't see him? And maybe you've been asked by a child, uh, uh, your own or a grandchild, you know, what is God Like? It's just a basic question we have as as human beings. And in this case, the go-to Sunday school answer is spot on. What is God like? Well, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Him. Paul says He's the image of God. He makes visible the invisible God. And that language, image of God, should sound very familiar. It shows up right at the very beginning of our Bibles. Genesis chapter 1, human beings are created in the image of God according to God's likeness. God designed us as human creatures to to reflect something of who He is. But, But what Paul says here is that Jesus is the image of God. Human beings created in the image of God, and, and according to his likeness, they reflect something of who he is, but, but Jesus is the image of God in a unique way. And Paul didn't make this up. He's really reflecting what, what Jesus himself said. You remember that scene in John 14 where one of the disciples, Philip, uh, asked Jesus, he says, show us the Father. And, and how does Jesus respond? He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. See, in the Bible, a true son was expected to, to be like his father, to, to reflect the father's image and, and likeness, to share his image and likeness. And, and Jesus being the image of God means that he, as the eternal son, as the divine Son perfectly represents his heavenly father. He Jesus, God in human flesh, reveals to us the innermost reality of who God is. And Hebrews 1 puts it this way He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. See, Jesus isn't just like God. He is himself God, God the Son. And so if you're visiting with us today and you're not a Christian, uh, one thing you need to understand is that we believe not simply that Jesus was a religious teacher, not simply that he was someone who, who told us things about God. He is God, God in human flesh. And as Paul says here, God made visible so, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen who God really is. And here's why this matters. Many of us, and by many of us, I mean Christian people, Christian men and women in the church, many of us have trouble believing that God is good. Trouble believing that, that He's loving I mean, we know intellectually what the Bible says, that the Bible says he is good, he is love. We know we ought to believe it, but how often have you wondered or, or even feared that, that back behind Jesus, there's this God who's not exactly all that friendly? You know, Jesus, yeah, he's, he's the friend of sinners, um, but the father is, is demanding, he's harsh, he's easily provoked by my shortcomings and, and failures. Uh, maybe for you this idea that, that God is a father uh, brings to mind the, the harsh, abusive man who raised you, and, and that's just shaped how you think about God. God. If God's a father, he must be like that. When Paul says that Jesus is the image of God, he, he is saying, as, as one theologian put it, there is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. There is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. What you see in Jesus is who God really is. And so, you know, when you read the Gospels and you, you see Jesus welcoming lepers, when you see Jesus welcoming sinners and outcasts and moral failures, you are seeing the very heart of God on display. Uh, Jesus is the love and the mercy and the grace of God in human flesh. Uh, This is who God really is. This is what He's like. Jesus isn't showing us something different than who God is. He is revealing God to us. That means God, He he welcomes us when we come to Him with our our spiritual leprosy, with our sin, with our guilt. Uh, He forgives. He cleanses. He doesn't reject. He welcomes us when we come to Him through His Son. You know, you and I weighed down with fears, with worries, with doubts and questions, even confusion. And maybe you've wondered, well, what does God really think of me? I, I call myself a Christian person, and here I am just just such a, a mess. What is what does God think? How does God respond? Well, we don't have to guess. You know, it, it's not, well, what is your problem, Christian man, Christian woman? You know, come back to me when you've got your act together. We we hear God's response in Jesus' own words come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is who God is. If if you've gotten it into your head that, that Jesus is the nice one and, and he shields us somehow from the cranky, angry, merciless Father, I want you to just throw that away. <laughs> Do away with it. Jesus, as the image of God, means that The truth about Jesus is the truth about God. Our God overflows with mercy and grace and love. And we see that most clearly in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Himself the image of God. And so Paul not only tells us that that this Jesus, whom we know and love, is the image of God. He goes on to say that, that Jesus is the Lord of creation. He's the Lord of creation. You see, we tend to reduce Jesus down to my personal Savior. And there's a lot of truth bound up within that statement. Jesus is intensely personal. He comes to us individually as Savior. But we can tend to to think of him as just this little thing that pertains to me, and it's good for me. It might not work for somebody else, or at least that's how people might Might think um, about what we're saying, but Jesus isn't simply my personal Savior. He's the sovereign ruler of all created reality. And Paul goes on in verse 15 to say that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn of all creation creation. Now, you probably have a, a response like I do when I read something like that. It, it sounds a little odd. It, it makes it sound like Jesus is a created being. And so let me let me just clear up any potential confusion here. And uh, if you're confused by this, you're not the first. Ever since uh, Arius in the fourth century, different groups have, have seized on this term, firstborn. They say, look, Jesus is the first created being. So he's he's really important because he was the first. He he came before all the others, but he's still a creature. And you know, if if you've studied the Bible, you know that one of the most basic rules of of Bible study is context, context, context. And and the context simply rules out the idea that Jesus is a creature. Paul will say in verse 16, uh, that, that Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, created all things. If He created all things, He Himself cannot be created. He is the Creator, not a creature. So that term, firstborn, it, it's about position. It's about status, or as Paul says later in the passage, Preeminence. In the ancient world, the firstborn was the heir of the family's estate. And and we see language about firstborn used a number of times in the Bible. In in the Old Testament, it's used to highlight a special status. Israel is called God's firstborn son. The the nation of Israel is called his firstborn. And that doesn't mean Israel was the only nation or even the first nation. It it points to their unique covenantal relationship with God. Um, Psalm 89, the Davidic king is called the firstborn, and God promises to make him the highest of the kings of the earth. That's Psalm 89:27. 27. So there's this promise to David. God calls him the firstborn. Now, we just started children's Sunday school again, so I need to put the kids on the spot and test their Bible knowledge. Was David the firstborn of his family, of his siblings? And maybe it's been a while and you don't remember. The answer is no. In fact, he was the youngest sibling. And yet God in Psalm 89 calls him the firstborn, indicating his status as the exalted king, as the rightful heir to God's promises. And so when Paul says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, he's saying Jesus is the heir of all creation. It's all his he he's supreme over creation he's in the highest position imaginable in other words he is the world's rightful ruler and king and to drive that point home about jesus lordship over creation paul adds in verse 6 if you look or verse 16 if you look there he says that jesus is the creator of all things for by him All things were created. And then he he says it again at the end of the verse. All things were created through him. And for you grammar geeks, that little preposition there, for, is, is very important. Paul says he's the firstborn of all creation for or because he is the creator. That is why he is supreme. He made it all. This Jesus who, who died on a Roman cross and was laid in a tomb and, and raised from the dead. He is the agent of creation. Everything that exists today, everything that has ever existed was made by the one who was born in Bethlehem. And when Paul says Jesus created all things, he really does mean all things, and you can see what he what he does there in verse sixteen in, in very poetic fashion. He says, "By him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. In other words, everything, uh, things visible and invisible." Everything, that is, things we know about, uh, things that have been discovered, things that haven't been discovered yet and we can't even see, he created it all. Thrones and dominions and rulers and, and authorities, uh, terms all referring to spiritual beings, the, the angelic realm, including fallen angels or, or demons, and, and Paul says, look, he has created them all. And you know, just for a moment to realize why Paul is, is bringing this out here, some of these Colossian Christians were, were becoming preoccupied with things like angels and things like demons and the false teachers were saying, look, if you really want to tap into divine power, if you really want to experience spiritual fullness, if you want to be protected from these sinister you know, forces at work in the world, you, you, you need to focus, you need to connect with angels, you need to ward off the demons, the hostile powers, and Paul says, look, friends, the, the powers are creatures, uh, they're all subject to Christ's lordship, he rules over them. And, and later we'll see in, in chapter 2, Paul tells us that Christ triumphed over the hostile powers, through his cross and, and paul is saying look you you don't need to live in fear of these these invisible beings christ is lord over them he is lord of creation you know the the tags on your clothing typically indicate where uh, that item was made and, and you know if you flip over the tag and you might read something like made in the USA or or more likely, you know, made in China or something like that. Uh, the universe is stamped with made by Jesus Christ. This this world is is stamped with his artistry and his creativity and his beauty and his his goodness. You know, we growing up in such a, a secularized culture are, are accustomed to thinking of the universe in very impersonal terms. Uh, there's just these forces and these laws and all these things, uh, and this this world just uh, it came about by chance. And yet, what Paul says here about Jesus as as the agent of creation means that this very earth that we stand on, that we make our home in, it was, it was purposefully and lovingly created by none other, none other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, not only was this universe created by him and through him, but you'll notice there at the end of verse 16, it was created for him, for him. Christ is the goal of creation, the telos of creation. It, it all exists for his glory. That, you know, all of creation, including you, including me, exists to put on display the the majesty and the supremacy and the the glory of God the son the, that is why we exist we were designed to to celebrate and enjoy and reflect jesus glory that is our highest calling as human beings our ultimate purpose and you know people often wonder what is the meaning of it all not just life but but the universe, everything. What does it all mean? And, and the answer is the glory of Jesus Christ. The glory of Jesus Christ. And so do you, do you see how Jesus is bigger than we often imagine? Not just my personal Savior who, who helps me out when I'm in trouble and, and in need. He's the, the sovereign Lord of all creation. He's the, the origin and the architect and the aim of creation. And and here's really the the astounding thing as Paul says we exist for the glory of of God the son but we've done a terrible job <laughs> at fulfilling our calling right I mean we were made to love him trust him obey him serve him but we don't not not by nature at least you know Jesus is supreme that's the point Paul is, is driving home. He's the center of everything, but you and I often live like this universe is about us. That right at the center of it all is not the, the exalted, risen Lord Jesus Christ, but, but the exalted Ryan Wenzel, or, or plug your own name in there. <laughs> like the world revolves around me and, and my little kingdom. You know, we've been so twisted and deformed by our sin that, that we don't operate the way that we were designed to. And, and it's not just human beings. It's the entire creation has been distorted by our sin. And you think, well, well what would this Lord of creation, this, this all-powerful, exalted being, do to such uh, ungrateful, rebellious creatures? You know, did, did he cast creation aside? You know I, I'm finished with those self-absorbed little peons. No, the, this Lord of creation enters into creation. He becomes one of us. He came to, to rescue and to restore and renew all creation by destroying evil forever. the, the evil outside of us and, and the evil in. Side of us. And and Paul will talk about this more in the the verses we'll look at next week, that Christ, the Lord of creation, became one of us, and he made peace by the blood of his cross. He created all things, and he's reconciled all things to himself through his death and resurrection. So you see, the, the scope of Jesus' work is bigger than just getting me out of hell. He does that. But the scope of Jesus' work is nothing less than a new creation in which righteousness dwells. And so Jesus is bigger than we've imagined. His saving work is bigger than we've imagined. And and I would say that being a Christian is bigger than we've imagined. Like I just mentioned, too often we, we reduce it down to escaping hell and going to heaven when I die. That, that's what Jesus is good for. That's what it means to be a Christian person. But it's about so much more you know you and i if we belong to jesus christ we've been swept up into this grand eternal plan that god has to magnify his son and and becoming a christian is about being restored by god to our our true purpose as human beings to live in union and communion with with our creator and redeemer and to reflect his glory And, and your personal salvation my personal salvation are pieces of this grand tapestry that God is weaving together for His Son. That, that's where we find you know, ultimate meaning and purpose is, is living a life of faith and trust in this Lord of creation who at the, the end of time will be magnified and exalted forever and ever. And so Paul says Jesus is the image of God. He's the Lord of creation. And third, He's the sustainer of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. see, Paul's not done yet talking about Jesus and the creation. He's the Lord and creator of it all. He's the goal of it all. And then verse 17, And He is before all things, and in Him, in Christ, all things hold together. You may know the Andrew Peterson song that's based on this passage it's running through my head right now because he repeats that he holds all things together. You know before creation, before this world existed, before there was time or space, Jesus was there uh, he's he's before all things, Paul says he's the eternal Son of God no no beginning, no end. He is before, and then this just mind-blowing statement. In Him, all things hold together. All created reality coheres in Jesus Christ. He didn't create the universe and then just walk away like the, the God of the Deists, you know, this this divine watchmaker who just kind of you know spins it up and then sets it all going. Jesus has kept this world going since day one. (laughs) Apart from Jesus, nothing exists. He's the creator of it all. Apart from Jesus, nothing continues to exist. You know, why is your heart beating at this very moment? Why did the sun rise this morning? And it's because King Jesus holds everything together. All creation, the, the smallest molecule, everything depends on his moment-by-moment moment care. I mentioned a few moments ago, you know, our, 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 we're accustomed to thinking of the universe in impersonal terms. You know, laws of nature, that's what holds the universe together, that's what, what keeps everything going, gravity, and law of thermodynamics, and all, all such things. And those are certainly helpful descriptions of, of what we observe about how the world works. But, but ultimately, there's something more going on. There, there's something deeper at work here. And, and Douglas Moo, a commentator, I, I love what he says. I, I'm going to quote him. He says, what, what holds the universe together is not an idea or a virtue, but a person the resurrected Christ. If even for one split second, Jesus ceased sustaining the universe, it, it would just immediately descend into chaos. You know, our planet hurling, hurtling out into the, the uttermost reaches of, of space and, and disintegrating, if it were not for Jesus' constant care. He holds all of reality together. And so Paul, you know, he says... It, here, this is who Jesus is. He's the image of God. He's the Lord of creation. He's the sustainer of all things. But we need to ask, you know, why does Paul talk about all this here? You know, it kind of sounds like, Paul is writing to seminary students, you know, so so people like like Matt and Paul can just kind of geek out over these, these amazing things that, that the Bible says about Jesus. But but this is not simply abstract theology. You see, Paul knows something about us as human creatures. It was true of the Colossians, it's true of us we gravitate toward a Jesus who is too small. We so easily come up with an idea of, of who Jesus is, and we put our trust and hope in, in that Jesus, instead of the real Jesus, the, this Jesus who is bigger. Um, and we too easily begin to believe that that that. Jesus, the, the small Jesus, the one we've come up with, we find out he's not enough. He's not enough. And when that happens, we start trying to fill the gaps with other things. And so Paul's saying, look, friends, not so fast, not so fast. The, the problem isn't with Jesus, at least not with the real Jesus. The, the real Jesus is supreme. And therefore, he is sufficient. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And so, just some final applications. If, if Jesus is the image of God, and all the fullness of God dwells in him, as, as verse 19 says, then fullness, life, flourishing cannot be found in anything else. It cannot be found in in anything else and the more we're convinced of that the more persuaded we are that that Jesus is the one in whom fullness is is found and experienced you know the the less appeal the false promises of fullness will have now i don't think most of us the the temptation for most of us is not to just you know After church today, head over to the local Buddhist monastery or or find a mosque and, and try to find fullness. You know, the the immediate danger for most of us is not jettisoning Jesus and replacing him with some kind, some other religious figure or some other system. It's more subtle than that. It's, it's Jesus. Our temptation is, I've got Jesus, and He does some things for me, but I need this other thing also. I need, I need Jesus plus this thing. And, and, you know, Jesus gets me part of the way to fullness, and He's good for what He provides, but, but I need this other thing too. And, and I just want you to, to think, I want to ask you, what might it be for you? You know, maybe it's, it's Jesus plus the marriage I've always dreamed of. That, that would be life-giving. That would give me purpose and, and fulfillment. Or, or maybe it's Jesus plus the perfect children. You know, the well-behaved, polite, talented, and low-maintenance. That would be life. Or it's Jesus plus good health. Or it's Jesus plus you know a more meaningful career or success, whatever it might be. and And I should point out those those desires are okay. Uh, those things are not bad in and of themselves the The problem is when these nice to haves, and that, that's what they are, and some of them are nicer to have than others, but but these nice to haves. The problem is when they become absolute needs. I cannot be who God created me to be. I cannot experience true life and flourishing apart from this thing. And and when you detect that kind of discontent in your heart, it's like the the check engine light on the dashboard in your car. You know, that that thing lights up and it, it might be nothing. You know, it might just mean... Some minor thing needs to be addressed. It might mean, you know, you're in for a bunch of trouble or your vehicle's in for a bunch of trouble unless you get it checked out very quickly. And and when you you detect that that discontent, it's a sign that, that something's wrong. Maybe maybe you've lost sight of who Jesus is. Maybe you've you've lost sight. You've forgotten that He's enough. You know, Jesus is the the very life and fullness of God come to take up residence in your life. And, And God cannot give you more fullness. God cannot give you more life. God cannot give you more of himself than he has done in Christ. You know, Jesus' lordship. Paul says not only is Jesus the image of God, he's Lord. His lordship speaks to our fears. You know, what are you afraid of? What keeps you awake at night? What keeps you tossing and turning? You know, who do you think has power to ruin your life or your family's life, this, this world that you live in? And, and Paul comes to us here in this passage and says, look, Jesus is the sovereign king of heaven and earth. So, so whatever threats, you know, the, the dangers that, that you fear, whatever powers you fear... Remember, they can only do what King Jesus allows them to do. you know they they are not ultimate. these things that we fear that cause us worry and 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 doubt that they are not ultimate. they certainly compose a certain degree of, of threat and danger, but not ultimate danger because we are safe and secure in the hands of the Lord of all creation. He rules the universe for your good if you're his child. And you can trust him. He's big enough, big enough to handle your fears. And he's the sustainer. You know, maybe you feel like, you know, you've got all, a bunch of plates spinning and it's too much. And at any moment, chaos is just going to, to swallow you up. You know, I, I've told you before about my struggles with anxiety and depression. And uh, one morning, just a, a few, uh, very recently, you know, I woke up one morning and, and that feeling that I, that I was about to be swallowed alive by life's problems, it just, it just smacked me in the face. You know, first thing in the morning. And and I sat down and I read Psalm 29 and you know what I came across in Psalm 29 and, and you know I I love when the Lord does things like this. Psalm 29, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood, <laughs> the chaos waters. <laughs> the Lord is sits enthroned as king forever. <laughs> you know, King Jesus is bigger than the chaos. You know, you can turn to him when it when it feels like everything's about to spin into utter chaos. You say, Lord, I cannot hold it all together. And I know that you don't expect me to hold it all together. I can't keep all the plates spinning. Lord, I depend on you. You are the sustainer. And he will sustain you. He will hold you together. Yeah. You know, but let me remind you, my, I should say, my wife reminded me of this this week as, as we were talking about this. is a very good point. To say that Jesus will sustain you doesn't mean you will always feel like it. It doesn't mean you will feel like, you know, I am strong and I've got it all together because of Christ and I can take on anything. You know, if if our lives are anything like the Apostle Paul's life, and he tells us we should expect them to be, we will feel, being sustained by Jesus, will often feel like weakness, but somehow we kept going. It's, it's like, it's that daily dying and rising with Christ that we've talked about. You know, these, these many deaths and then many resurrections. You know, you feared you would drown. You feared your head would just dip below the waters and you would sink down to the bottom. But but somehow, and you don't really know how, you kept treading water. See, not walking on water, (laughs) just treading water (laughs) and not drowning. That's often how it feels in the Christian life to be sustained by this Jesus. It's his promise. In 2 Corinthians 12, you know, Paul comes to him, comes to Jesus, this thorn in the flesh, this weakness, whatever it might be, and take it away, <laughs> take it away, three times. You know, I don't, I don't want this weakness anymore. And Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I will sustain you. I will uphold you with my grace and so friends, I want you to, to walk away today from Colossians 1 convinced that, that Jesus is bigger. <laughs> that, that he's bigger than maybe the, the Jesus you've, you've always thought of. That, that he's enough. He's enough for you. He, he's enough for me. And, and stand on that truth you know do not be moved away from that simple gospel truth that the lord jesus christ is enough you know every morning <laughs> remind yourself jesus is enough today he's he's lord he he holds all things together i belong to him and he's got me in his hands he is enough let's pray Our God and Father, I ask today that if if we have embraced uh, insufficient ideas about the Lord Jesus Christ, if our understanding of Him is, is too truncated and too small, would you expand our vision of who He is, of His majesty, of His glory? of his goodness and his power and his commitment to us as his blood-bought people. And Lord, would you help us to be firmly fixed on him and, and rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ and not moved away from our Savior. We ask all in his name. Amen.